0: I've known James for, well, we won't say how many years. We've known each other since we were 14 years old. There are very few friends that we have in our life that have traveled with us that long. And um, he knows all the dirt on me, but I've already paid him not to say anything. We played on the tennis team together at Dorsey High School. And then he went off to USC and I went to Loyola. And um, I would go over his house and visit him and his mom and his sister. And he'll say that he won the matches against me, but I'm your pastor, so believe me. (laughs) Someone has said that a good friend is God's way of apologizing for your family. (laughs) James doesn't replace any of my siblings, but he just adds to my family as a brother that brother from another mother and I love him like a brother. I had the honor of officiating his uh, wedding several many years ago and our friendship has continued over the 40 plus years. Thank you for sharing your story with us, James. Let's give him a welcome as he comes.
1: Hello, I would like to say welcome to the Bethel Luther Church community. It's so nice to be here. It's nice to see the people who are alive. It's nice to see real people because that's where I usually come when I have a meeting. I'm talking about compulsive gambling and alcoholism but the key is I like seeing your smiles. I like hearing you um, sing. And the song Mercy just before I came on was just right on, right on time, because that's what I wanna share with you, a story of mercy. And continuing, I wanna say that I am very happy that the, I was invited here, and I wanna give permission to record this testimony. Okay, first of all, I'll just start off with a little honesty. Yes, I used to beat Kenneth, um, Kenneth, Pastor Kenneth <laughs> Katie um, in tennis all the time. <laughs> he would win the first set 6 um, 0, and then I'll come back and win the next set. And then we have to go to a 7 6 tiebreaker in the third set because I refuse to give up. <laughs> you know? But it, it didn't matter who won, it's just as long as we went three sets and the last set was 6-6 six, six, and we had to go to a tiebreaker. <laughs> that's all I wanted. Well, let's start off with a little honesty. Um, Twenty-four years ago, I was at my Wits end, and I, I was a compulsive gambler and an alcoholic. Where did it start? When I was young, when I knew Kenneth. When I was 14, I used to um, handicap the horses daily from the daily racing forums and give my sheets to my father every morning. And so it, it started off as something that was not harmful, you know, but over time, let's fast forward um, 21 years, I had progressed to being compulsively addicted to gambling on a daily basis. And also I had picked up drinking also, cause I used to, I used to be the bartender at my mom and dad's parties and I would make everybody's drink too strong And then I would have to collect all the drinks up and I would drink the leftovers and I just you know I didn't see any harm in that, because I liked the effect, but what I found when I had to change is. um, I didn't know how to change and so where it started was with honesty. Being honest to myself that something needed to change period. So what did I do? I I went to a counselor, I went to a chemical dependency recovery program, and then I also went to a 12-step program. Uh, It took a while, Uh, I went to gambling first because I knew that was a problem. But it only took 27 additional days of not gambling that I realized I had to stop drinking. And so I have two sobriety dates, one is March 5th, 1999, for gambling in April Fool's Day, 1999. So every April Fool's Day, I celebrate and say, can you believe James has not had a drink? Because that is the biggest April Fool's. (laughs) But going on, honesty. The honesty started when I decided to change. It was very difficult because when I saw the 12-step program, it said you had to turn your will and your life over to the care of God. And at that point, I felt that I had been abandoned. But that's just how I felt at that time. What I realized as time progressed, I didn't have to believe that the program would work because I didn't agree with all 12 of the steps. But there were parts of them I, I said, well, I might as well try and the thing that i found was um the guy that ended up being my sponsor he told me you don't have to believe you just have to be willing and and that was the most important part of my recovery the willingness to do something different he said when you your feelings come up and you think you should go this direction i need you to go the other direction 180 degrees do the complete opposite and in some cases, do not do anything at all. <laughs> Defer a decision. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> that was very, that took a lot of open mindedness because I had to open my mind to another way of thinking. And then I had to realize that the compulsion to drink and gamble was not going away, that I would have to deal with it on a daily basis and have to stop daily. You know, I don't think about tomorrow, I don't think about yesterday, I just think about right now. And what I've learned is, over time is, by being honest with my sponsor, being open minded and willing to take his direction. That in the 12 steps, the twelfth step is to go back and help somebody else. But that's where I learned the most, being in fellowship in the group. I would sit across from a stranger, give them the same instructions my sponsor gave me, and I would see myself. And I had never met this person. They would share something, and I would say, wow, God has a sense of humor. He placed someone in front of me who is just like me, who I have never met. And their backgrounds, I would have never thought we were alike. And, but I found that we are alike. We're all human, and, I'm very grateful for both of my sponsors in both pro- programs. They both had different approaches, but I learned from both. and I carried it forward to countless number of people over the past 24 years. And I've seen miracles in people. You know, I don't need a fantastic miracle like, you know, it rained and then it stopped and then it poured and then everything cleared up. I don't need that. I just need a person sitting in front of me. Uh, be willing to take direction. And I can watch the miracle in their life. And all I did was share my life with them. And I never knew that drinking and gambling would be such a significant purpose in my life. By participating in these programs, I've been able to help others on a voluntary basis. And it helped me stop gambling and drinking. Because if I have a story to tell and I can share it with another human being, I, I can abstain from gambling and drinking, even if it pops in my head. So it's still it's still there. You know, I would love to say, Oh, double down on thirteen playing blackjack. <laughs> you know, you know, I would have six, seven, and I said "An eight is coming. <laughs> You know, so, and um, as far as drinking, I don't miss that at all. Um, My grandmother told me when I started drinking when I was 14, she told me, James, you really don't need that. And when I told her I got sober when I was 35, she said, I told you you didn't need that, you're already there. And I can tell you, like I'm looking at you right now, I'm still there. I don't need any inputs from outside things. And I can be very joyous. And, and free and peaceful. What would I say to the members of the church? Look for outside sources to help you and your own community, because there are, you never know who's sitting next to you. There may be a wonderful resource just sitting there and all you have to do is ask for help. And I'm glad that I did. And I just wanna say, I am so happy to be sober. I am so happy not to be gambling. And it didn't help happen without the trusting God. But I didn't believe at first. It, I was only willing. And I just want to say that's how it worked. Mm-hmm. And so I'm open for any questions from the community, if you have any. I'll start, James. OK. They
0: often say that persons with um, addictions have to hit rock bottom. How would you describe your rock
1: bottom? Uh, my rock bottom? um what it was um my house was in foreclosure i had the money to get it out of foreclosure but i needed some money extra i needed some money <laughs> after i wanted to pay them i wanted something extra and i went and lost all of that money i went to my grandparents they gave me the money again but they gave me a check written out to me and then i lost that money and that was the bottom because now I had to create another story. I like to call them my lies stories, because my lies, I had to believe them in order to continue. And so I made up something, and I told my grandfather, well, granddad, and I, I didn't tell him what I did. I just told him that they needed another additional monies, but I needed a cashier's check this time. <laughs> and because at that point, my mortgage did not take anything but cash or cashier's checks from me. They didn't take any other type of instruments. And um, that was okay with me, but he agreed. But many years later, when I had I had to make amends to my grandparents, and I just told them that due to my gambling, that's why I was so short of money. But that was some time later. But my sponsor told me I don't have to tell details, just don't take those actions further on. And so I never had to ask my grandparents for anything else at that time. And when I got a car shortly after, he said, dang, James got a car and he didn't ask me for anything. That was what my granddad said. But he always knew something was wrong with my gambling. He said to me once in Vegas, he said, "You know, that's not that's my gimme granddad grandson." He told Telly Survivalist that he was sitting at the, the poker table with my granddad, and he said he gambles kind of peculiar. And I thought about it later, and I said, "Yeah, he identified what was wrong at a very early age." And I just want to say, um, I'm still happy for all the experiences because I wouldn't change a thing. Because it keeps me open minded and willing to help others. Next question.
0: Hi, and for for joining our congregation and speaking with us today. Um, I was wondering what was the most difficult step in your 12 step programs and was it different from your gambling program uh, versus your alcoholics? Okay, program? so.
1: Uh... The most difficult step was the inventories. Because when I did the gambling inventory first, that was pretty simple. The emotions that came up, you know, I talked about handicapping the horses like I shared earlier for my father when I was like 13, 14 years old, just giving them a sheet on a daily basis. That was easy. But um, there were parts of my recovery that was different in alcohol in alcoholism, that even though I wrote about the same time period, there were other issues that were written about when I did the gambling story. Cause I thought about things that weren't associated with gambling, but they were happening at the same time. And I didn't know that I had those feelings and resentments toward other people based on alcohol. So the the resentments and anger and the fear and the, um, the experiences were totally different even though they were in the same time period. They all coexisted at the same time. But when I wrote them out, it was um, very, um, it was nice to have both programs because I saw two, two, different, two different stories for me based on what it was about, even though it was the same time period. They all were coincided together. But what happened the most was making amends. That was the easiest part because I was so honest in the fourth step for both of them that it was clear who I had to make amends to. And the most important amends I made was were living amends to not repeat those actions to that person ever again, and I think that will make that was the difficulty and then also acceptance of people who didn't want to accept your amends. You have to accept that too because when you make amends, it's not an apology, it's better treatment from here on out <clears throat> and um Some of the people on those lists don't see it your way. (laughs) And I think that was the most difficult thing. And the thing I do is I pray for them, and I keep treating them fairly, even if I do have to interact with them.
2: Okay, next question. Hello, how are you? I'm good. Um, Yeah, I'm going through. Honesty I'm seeing today um, is the most important thing. But there's the world outside. I don't really. First of all, I need more than what the world has out there. And it's got a pull, pulling on me that doesn't want me to be honest. And um, I don't know if I want to be honest out there with the way things are. So I'm practicing on being honest every day, but there's a part of me that doesn't want to be honest that wants to reject the truth, wants to be in denial, and I think i'm it's a defense mechanism against what I'm up against out there, and um I do I need God, then I just can't seem to find God out there when we come into places like this so Yes, thank you for having me here at your place. That's a wonderful place, thank you.
1: Okay, and I just want to add one more thing. Um, honesty with your sponsor is most important, but honesty about things that will harm yourself or others in your family is not what we do. Because except you, you, you don't do that except to do so when it would harm yourself or others. But sharing that with a sponsor is not gonna harm yourself or others because he's trying to give you a path to make amends for those actions. So I don't say go out there and be honest about everything with everybody. You know, you select from your direction what to do with the others, because what you do is you take the instructions you've been given to treat them differently. And they don't need to know all of your secrets. Is there anyone in Zoom who would like to ask a question?
3: Hi, my name is- Hello,
1: Steph. I can't hear you.
3: Oh, you can't hear me?
1: Uh, I can hear you now.
3: Okay. Um, James, thank you so much for just sharing your experience, strength, and hope, and, you know, modeling honesty for us as well, too, and being what I like to call vulnerable And um, I've had a lot of people in my life who have been um, who've suffered from addiction. And I am in the other companion program, Al-Anon, for 22 years and realized that as a family, Dissy, it is, you know, it affected me every bit as much as my loved ones. And one of the things I would love to hear from you would be um, what your relationship was like with God before you entered um, recovery? And having experienced recovery, what's your relationship with God today?
1: Good question. And I, I am too. I'm also a codependent, also. So not only am I a, a gambler and um, a drinker, I'm also codependent. I like to care for others and try to tell them what to do. <laughs> <laughs> But I, had, I found I have no power over that either. But um, to tell um, my relationship with God, I, I'm Christian, I was baptized, I grew up as a Christian belief. Um, it was more like, a, you know, faith-based, whereas you know, if you do the right thing, you should be rewarded. That's how I believed. And um, I, didn't, I didn't like the consequences of some of my decisions. And so I thought God had abandoned me because it kept getting worse and worse. But after going through the 12-step program, I realized he had to keep t- turning up the volume for me to listen. For me to change, the volume had to go up very, very high. He couldn't do it nicely. You know, I have a friend say, "Oh, James, I think you have a problem." <laughs> I said, "I don't have no problem. I don't have hangovers. I go to work all the time. You know, I excel, I'm doing well in my career, but those aren't the important things. It's relationships, and what happened was that the volume got so high, the disappointments got so high, the emotions and feelings got so high that I had to change. And my belief in God and miracles went tenfold when I went to the 12-step program because I met others who were like me. And I knew at that point why I had to go to a 12-step program. I had to meet other people who had had my experience, because I couldn't meet them at first in the churches that I attended, because I just thought I was sinful and I was going to hell. That was the God that I started with before recovery. But now, but after, it, my sponsor asked me something. He said, if you had, a, had an opportunity to, to give God the qualities you need in your recovery, what would they be? I said, he would have to be clever. He would have to be able to talk to me through others. He would have to be understanding. He would have to tolerate my stubbornness. And... And also, he had to be forgiving. But those were the qualities I wanted from God at that time. And I can say after 24 plus years, everything I wrote down on that piece of paper, he did it. (laughs) He met me where I was. He didn't um, try to meet me where I should be in some ideal situation. He met me where I was. And that's the difference between my God prior to the 12-step program and my God before. My God before was punishing, and I wasn't gonna meet the bar. So that even though it said it was, he had forgiveness and all that, but I had put myself in such a state, I said, well, he won't forgive me. But that wasn't true. He just had to help me through a different venue. And I just wanna say, I attended five to 10 meetings a week for my first five years of recovery, and I went to every denomination church that would allow us to have meetings. So I just wanna say, I never, um, you know, when people say, well, where's your church home? I said, my church home is in recovery, and I attend meetings in all denominations of churches. And I've learned a lot from different religious people that I've met throughout these years, and I've embraced their practices. That would help me not drink and gamble, because you never know who you're going to meet when you're in a twelve-step room and what they practice, and um and that's the difference between my God when I, before I stopped gambling and drinking and my God now. I hope that was clear. One more.
2: I have a wondering. Um, it seems to me that we all have these different parts and facets of ourselves. And then, uh, some of the things we do, whether it's drinking or another thing, they seem like ways to manage things that are down deeper inside. I'm not asking what yours were, but I'm wondering, what do you think about that, that? That the drinking or the gambling in your case, or whatever it might be that each of us is doing that it's really just there, it means well, um, even though it's not serving us well, but that there's something still underneath that needs some attention.
1: Yes, um, I can tell you my father died when I was 18. And I didn't get sober until I was 35. And I had done the steps twice by the time I was 38. And I realized that at 38, on the anniversary of his death, I had been grieving from 18 to 38. And since I used to handicap those horses for him on a daily basis, that just kept feeding my participation in gambling but it was based on my grief of his loss. But I didn't realize that until I was sober for three years. And um, and I stopped grieving Thirty-eight at 38, and I'll be 60 next week, a week from today. So I would say, yes, it's an internal job. And that's what the um, 12 steps allow you to process. And that's where the honesty comes in. Because whatever you leave out, um during the process because you don't do it once you do it many times you do it your first time then you might have another addiction then you do it again and then you sponsor people and guess what happens the person sitting in front of you is just like you and is having the same problem that your, your sponsor told you how to solve and I said I thought I can not do this but I guess I have to do this with my sponsee and then I just want to share, the success of your sponsee is not the goal. The goal is to save yourself. It's just that I've had a lot of wonderful people who, ended, who started off as sponsees, who ended up close friends to this day. And But that doesn't have to be the case, because I can sponsor someone and take them through, and that doesn't have to happen. But the key is I, I reached out, helped them, And then if I see anything that they, deep inside, that they need additional help with, like Mm -hmm. you suggested, I guide them to that or encourage them to do that and share what I did. Mm -hmm. So, All right,
0: how much? I have a question. Yes, go ahead. Uh, I read an article several years ago about lessons that the church can learn from AA. If you were to write an article like that, what would you say in that article?
1: Embrace everyone who walks through the door. Have 12-step meetings in your church at a low cost, but make sure that it's not free. Make sure the members uh, are self-supporting through their own contributions. Because if they're willing to show up, make the coffee, put money in there to maintain the room, the meeting room, that means they're committed to, to recovery. And that's what I would say, because um, I've always went when I went to church as a young man, I always thought um, that God was a condemning God and he was going to throw me to brimstone and, you know, in fire, but that's not the case. I know he's forgiving and loving, and I would say to the church, embrace everyone who comes in. There's many, um, there's mental factors, there's mental illness. You know, a lot of people might have a combination of all three, you know, addiction and mental illness. But what you do is you stop one so the others can be identified. Like in my case, I stopped gambling first. And in 27 days, I knew I was an alcoholic because I went to a new bar after every meeting I went to for 27 days. (laughs) And ended up at the casino. You know, and, and uh, I called my friend was there and he said, where have you been? I said, I've been in meetings and I want to get my 30 D 30 day coin. He said, where are you going to watch me tonight? And I did, and I didn't gamble that night because of him. That why did I believe him? Because he was a fellow gambler, just like me. And he told me that on many occasions. And so uh, I saw him 13 years later in Del Taco, I was in the drive through. And I had to go tell him, I said, you know, you saved me that night. You know, I didn't gamble that night. And I, we had many years of sobriety by that time. And I just wanted to say thank you. And, I, and that's how it works. You never know who's there. And I would say to the church home, embrace your fellows, do your best to guide them to outside resources. And then also invite them to be fellowship with you. And just pray for them. That's what I would say.
2: Go ahead. To not believe, um, I never offended everybody. I was able to be really polite and courteous. Uh, Now the honest, the honest I can get is uh, believing in Jesus. And out there in the world, I am always am offending people if I say Jesus now, honestly, that I believe in Jesus, I'm offending people all the time. They're getting very upset um, if I say the name. And um, they can react, be very rude to me and um, very displeased and not happy with me if I say the name. And the honest, my, the God's honest truth is I believe in Jesus. It's safe to say it in here. But out there in the real world, I keep running into this problem. Any ideas what's going on or what I should, how I should feel? Well,
1: how we handle it in the 12-step program, we use
2: higher power.
1: And let that be enough. Because you have to look at the venue you're speaking at and use the language that's comfortable for your venue. And that's how we do it. Because you, you can fellowship with your fellow Christians and you can speak it out loud, but in some venues you have to edit yourself. And that's what I would advise. Well, and that's what I've learned to do. I'll put it that way. That's what I practice. All right, thank you all.